The Pre-Med Year, session number 360. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to the pre-med years. My name, as I mentioned earlier, Dr. Ryan Gray. Thank you for taking the time to join me today. Before I get started in today's episode, I want to give a little shout out to premedscholarship.com. If you don't know about premedscholarship.com, you should. It's a way that you can enter to win through an essay uh, up to $4,000 at this point, right? As we're recording this mid-October 2019, our prizes for first, second, and third place are $4,000 for first place, $1,500 for second, and $500 for third. And as I, I mention this now is because I just finally announced the winners from our second contest, which ended at the end of June, took a little while to get our scores. And we built a new rubric to to score the essays, to make sure that our reviewers are looking at the essays in a standard way. And we came up with our three winners finally, and announced those on Instagram and on Facebook. And we will post those essays soon on our website, but you can go to premedscholarship.com right now the page has been updated with the newest information for our next scholarship entry date, which has a deadline of December 31st, 2019. So we're doing this twice a year, December 31st as a deadline and June 30th, 30th, 31st. I always forget those. (laughs) The end of June for our second deadline. And uh, yeah, so go to premedscholarship.com right now. Right now, it's only open to people who are eligible to um, have a social security card to to have taxes in the U.S. So you have to be a U.S. citizen or green card holder or uh, whatever the status is to be able to to get a W nine. Because I will, um, uh, it will get reported as income and it will be taxed. But it's pretty awesome. I think four thousand dollars. Uh, $1,500 or $500. Again, premedscholarship.com. Today, I wanted to dive into something that a lot of students, especially right now, as we're recording this, it's the mid-October as it comes out. It's the day after uh, October 15th, which most students potentially don't know is a big day in the pre-med world, the application cycle, because that is the day that the AAMC tells MD medical schools, hey, you can now communicate to students whether or not they've been accepted. Now, DO schools don't do this. The the uh, ACOM that runs ACOMIS, they don't tell medical schools, the DO medical schools, that they have to delay their acceptances. I'm not quite sure the history behind why MD schools do that. I would love to find out more information. If you happen to know, maybe you're an advisor listening to this, if you you happen to know the reason why we delay the acceptances, that'd be interesting to know. Uh, My assumption is it just gives schools a chance to start interviewing students and, uh, and hand out those acceptances without maybe prematurely handing out acceptances because they're in a rush to get to the the best students. And so they're, they kind of press pause on that process. So, um, so 
again, as we're as this is coming out, it's the day after October 15th. So a lot of students you'll see on social media, a lot of students are saying, hey, they got their their invite or their acceptance rather. And they're super excited. And, and potentially you're sitting there going, well, I haven't even been invited for an interview yet. That's not fair. Uh, but lo and behold, or rest, rest assured is the, the right saying there. Rest assured that interview invites are still going out. So you still have a chance. And usually the students that are at this point in the game not getting those interview invites, it's typically because of lower stats. And if you just think through the process, potentially last Last year, uh, or last last year, last week, I talked about how medical schools review an application, and we talked about um, potentially, maybe we talked about if I didn't, uh, potentially how schools will kind of rack and stack, as we called it in the military applications. So they they get all their applications. They have let's say a thousand applications that make it through the filters that are qualified from a stats perspective to be reviewed by the admissions committee and all of the reviewers that are going to help review applications. And, and a lot of times the schools will just rank them, right? Or sort them rather, filter them uh, from, from top MCAT score to lowest MCAT score, top GPA to lowest GPA. And so it takes a while, especially if your stats are lower, it takes a while to get to your application in that process. So again, not every school works that way, but it's a potential way that schools are looking at applications and potentially why you don't have an interview invite yet. And if you have amazing stats, maybe there are other reasons why you don't have that interview. And that's why we have application renovation. If you don't get an acceptance to medical school, go to applicationrenovation.com slash apply. And you can apply to be a part of application renovation, which is our kind of hit YouTube series on, on our YouTube channel, premed.tv that reviews applications in depth and helps students try to figure out potentially where they went wrong. So as we kind of talk through this waitlist process, let's just, I want to do a brief kind of reminder about the application timeline, right? Applications open up May and June for AMCAT or for COMIS and TMDSAS, the DO applications and Texas applications. You can submit immediately for AMCAS, the MD applications. You can't submit until end of May, beginning of June, depending on that cycle year. So you can submit. Most schools are rolling admissions. You want to try to submit your application as early as possible. The rolling admissions means that the earlier application is in, the earlier it can be verified. And usually the first wave of applications for ACOMIS and AMCAS for MD and DO schools they don't go out until mid to late June, depending on the, the application service. So a COMIS typically is mid-June and then end of June for AMCAS for the MD schools is when they send out the first wave of applications to the medical schools. And that's typically when you'll start to see those secondary essays start to flood back. And then after that, you start to get those interview invites coming end of July, beginning of August. And, uh, and those acceptances for DO schools happening uh, as soon as they want. Again, a COMIS or ACOM does not limit who can be accepted or when they can be accepted on the DO side of things. And so you may be thinking MD stuff and thinking mid-October, and then you see someone posting, I just got accepted. And you're like, wait a minute, how is that possible? Well, a couple of reasons. Uh, could be uh, a DO applicant uh, getting their, their acceptance to a DO school, or it could be an early admissions or early decision rather 
applicant. Uh, early decision students apply to one school, uh, hopefully interview at that school, uh, and then have to have an acceptance or have to have some sort of decision by the end of September. Uh, that way, if they don't get in early decision, then they can apply to the general uh, application process. So that's kind of the the general timeline of of the medical school application. Again, this goes through uh, February, March, April, uh, even into May sometimes. And again, we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. Um, but uh, if you are not getting any interview invites at this point, right? It's mid-October. If you're not getting interview invites at this point, there's still a chance, right? It typically what the general rule of thumb is, is if you haven't gotten any interview invites by the end of November, then it's potentially time to start thinking about how to improve your application for the next cycle. Because most likely the the interview invites have gone out to, to the students who they're going, going to go out to. There may be a couple stragglers left who are submitting their application super late, submitting their secondary super late, and who may have amazing applications and schools may hold out for some of those or amazing stories that schools will hold out for those students as well. So again, end of November is kind of the the time to start. I don't want to say panicking because it's really not the appropriate thing to do, right? It just means, hey, not this year. It happened to me. It happens to a lot of students. It just means not this year, not yet there's something in your application potentially to improve upon. And we'll work on that and get you hopefully accepted the next cycle. So let's let's talk post-October 15th, right? The, the decision comes down from the schools and, and we'll talk MD and DO at this point, doesn't really matter. The schools can say, hey, we love you, we want to accept you and, uh, and, and we want to welcome you to our class. And you can say, great, thank you very much. Uh, you will typically have to put down a deposit to hold that spot. MD schools are better at at regulating those deposit amounts. DO schools are not, and it's ridiculous, and and there needs to be change there. But uh, I, I'll, I'll keep screaming that from the the mountaintops um, because the, those multiple thousand dollar deposits are uh, non refundable deposits are are not very nice to students. So uh, you have the deposits down, so you can be accepted. You can be rejected, unfortunately, right? That's always a, a a process that you have to go through, right? Lots of rejections to get that acceptance, and that's okay, right? There are going to be no's, and it, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be a good physician. It doesn't mean that you can't be a physician. It just means right now at that school, they just don't see a fit there, and that's okay. And then the other option is waitlist, right? Which is the what I really want to dive into for this episode a, a little bit. And it's really not as complicated as potentially students make it out to be. But what is a waitlist? So first of all, some of you may be going, but but I was waitlisted before I even got an interview. And yes, that that happens. You can get a pre-interview waitlist. And that's basically the school saying, hey, we like you a little bit, but we're not quite sure if we want to use an interview spot on you, right? It's it, Think of going out with your friends on a Friday night or your friends are asking you, right? You're the popular kid and your friends are asking you, hey, I want to go to the movies Friday night. And you're like, yeah, that sounds good. Uh, I'll let you know, right? And, and that response is really, I wonder if something better will come along. <laughs> let, me, let me keep my options open. 
that's what the school is doing with you. They're like, yeah, you're 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 not bad enough to reject you. You're not great enough to to have you here immediately. And so we're just going to keep you at arm's length and and see if we want to come back around to you. And students come off the pre-interview waitlist. Uh, I don't have any stats on how often that happens. Every school is going to be different and every admissions committee is going to be different. But just know that a pre-interview waitlist doesn't necessarily mean you're rejected. It just means not quite yet. Uh, and some schools will be glad to uh, take any sort of uh, update letters or anything like that. I would definitely send a thank you note if you get a pre-interview waitlist to say, hey, thanks. Thanks for the pre-interview waitlist. Um, I'm really excited to to interview at your school. Um, uh, I'll eagerly await your <laughs> eagerly await uh, the the next step, right? Or whatever you want to say. Just a very short, sweet thing to say. Yep, I acknowledge I'm on my interview waitlist. Thank you very much. I'll see you later. Um, and then really check in with each school to see what they expect or what they require or what they uh, don't want as far as updates uh, during the application cycle. So post-interview waitlist is really what I want to talk about with you today. A post-interview waitlist is really, again, very similar. A lot of schools will send most of their students to a waitlist. Uh, I know at least one school that does that where almost all of their students go right to a waitlist and then they make their decisions later. That's kind of a, a we kind of a mashup of a rolling admissions versus uh, not rolling admissions where they'll do rolling admissions for the interviews and then they'll wait until all the students are, have interviewed and then take a look at all of their students. So that's one way of doing it. And you should know about those schools, right? You should do some homework and understand and, and ask those questions to say, hey, potentially like, hey, like what percentage of students do you waitlist? Uh, uh, during your interview process, potentially that's a question that you can ask. Once you are waitlisted, again, I I, I would recommend doing the same thing as a pre-interview waitlist to say, hey, thank you for the waitlist. I'm really excited to go to the school. I really loved XYZ. And uh, I, I'm eager to, to, to find out if I will be part of next year's class, right? What, whatever you want to say there. Again, short and sweet. You don't need a long, uh, big essay on on anything. And again, please, please, please respect the school's policies around update letters and letters of intent and letters of interest and all of that. I, I think uh, an email in response to being waitlisted potentially kind of sidesteps policies around letters of update, letters of interest. You're just responding to their response uh, being waitlisted saying, thank you very much. So once you are waitlisted, again, going back to policies of the school, you have to really pay attention. You don't want to send an update letter to a school that doesn't want update letters because all that's going to tell the school is that you don't pay attention to, to, to rules and to policies. So really, really, really pay attention to each of the schools. The waitlist process is really hard for students. And let's just assume like, you, you've interviewed at one school and you were waitlisted at that school. And that's the only school that you have a potential shot at. And so a lot of students are in this situation and they feel trapped because they're like in this kind of purgatory of, did I get in? Did I not get in? What should I do? Should I go back to school? Should I do a post-bac? Should I do a master's? Should I retake the MCAT? And they just don't know. And they're, they're kind of frozen in fear of, of doing anything. And potentially the mindset is, well, if I 
commit to going and doing a post back and I get in, then, uh, well, m- maybe I, I'll cause, right? I'll, I'll tell the universe I don't need to get in and, uh, and I'll get a rejection because of it. And so students will, will just kind of sit and do nothing for a while. And so during this process, you really need to be introspective and find out potentially why you've been waitlisted. And a lot of wait lists will come because of poor interviews. A lot of students like to argue with me about that, but poor interviewing is a really good reason to be waitlisted, right? Your stats are great, but man, your interview was not very good. So let's just hold out and, and see if maybe we can overlook that a little bit later on. Uh, a lot of waitlists will come because of stats, right? Not every school is going to interview you and then ignore your stats post-interview. A lot of schools will still look at your stats and compare you to other students and and you may just not make the cut on that day. And that's okay, right? You, you've been waitlisted and maybe you'll make the cut later. So there are lots of reasons for being waitlisted. Again, I have to keep repeating it because students will send me emails and, and questions about this all the time, but respect the school's policies on updates and communication during the application cycle. So don't email me and say, hey, Dr. Gray, I was waitlisted. What should I do? Should I reach out to the school? Because my answer is always, what does the school want you to do? What is their policy around this? Now, coming off of a waitlist is a painful process because you just don't know when it's going to happen. Now, the AAMC changed their what they call traffic rules in 2018. And it caused a lot of chaos, I think. It was a very different waitlist process for students than it has been previously. Schools are trying to figure out what their numbers look like, trying to figure out who's coming to their school, who's not coming to their school. And I think it caused a lot of trepidation among schools to accept students and it caused a lot of delays with the, the wait list. And so hopefully as we move through this process year over year, this gets a little bit better. Schools understand their numbers a little bit better. They, they can, they can um, estimate a little bit better who they need to accept to fill their class. And just remember, right? A school is accepting a certain number of students over and above the number of seats that they have with the thought that there's always going to be a percentage of students who are going to be accepted at another school and go to that other school for one reason or another. And so schools are always playing this game, trying to balance out numbers of students they're accepting to try to get their numbers of students matriculating to be exactly the number of seats that they have available. And so this process starts around February and goes through March and April where students are logging into this new uh plan your school or whatever it's called tool uh, through AMCAS, through the AAMC, where they can see the schools that they've been accepted to and, and really plan to enroll or commit to enroll at those schools. And that game of, of selecting schools that you plan to enroll at or commit to enroll at, that is what is telling schools how many seats potentially they have available to offer to the waitlist. And that's the new tool from last year that's causing some chaos and hopefully gets improved and the, the processes and, and kind of rules around all of that improve moving forward. So once a student, if, if, you, if another student has multiple acceptances and they have been accepted to another school that they really want, right? It's their top choice, but they've also been accepted to the school that you're waitlisted at. 
they will hopefully contact that school, right? They still have to physically contact that school and say, hey, thanks, school. I was accepted somewhere else and I'm going to withdraw my application from your school. And that will, in theory, open up a seat. And depending on how the school has their wait list, that may mean you get that next email saying that you've been accepted. Now, schools can either have ranked or unranked wait lists. A ranked wait list will be a list, just like it said, it's ranked in order. If there's a number one person and a number 100 person, and as those seats open up, they'll pull from the top and say, okay, number one, you got a seat. The next time, number number one, you get a seat. And number two moves up to number one, right? It is literally a ranked wait list. And all of their thinking is done putting students on the wait list. And then once those spots open up, they really don't have to think. They just go to the wait list and pull the top of person. Very similar to if you think about like an organ organ donor list, right? Or organ, someone who needs a, a transplant, a transplant list is there's, there's a wait list and it's ranked and whoever's at the top gets the organ when it's available. So that's how the ranked wait list works. An unranked wait list is an unranked wait list. There's just a pool of students who are on the wait list and schools, depending on how often they want to meet and review those students on the wait list, will then look at each of those students again and look over their old notes and review your application and really try to figure out where you stand and if you want, if they want to offer you an acceptance at that point. So that's really how the waitlist works is once there's movement, right? One student is accepted at one school and they drop their acceptances at other schools. Once there's movement like that and schools can see how many seats they have available to offer, then there's movement from the waitlist. And depending on, again, on ranked versus unranked, again, that's a question you can potentially ask on your interview day to see how they rank. Some schools will even offer to tell you where you stand on the waitlist if it is a ranked waitlist to say, hey, yep, you're number six. Uh, based on history, we've accepted the, the first 15 people off of our waitlist. And so you're in a pretty good spot to get an acceptance. Some schools will tell you that information. I wish all schools would. Uh, I, think, I, I think transparency is really, really important for students and for schools. Uh, unfortunately, not all schools will give you that information but you can ask. So really this process can go all the way up until the school starts. So again, let's say you specifically are in a situation where you've been accepted to one school or you've been waitlisted at one school, you interviewed at one school. There's only one school that you can potentially get into. You can be accepted all the way up until that school year starts. Up until, right, orientation or maybe even after orientation, right? To, to, to say, hey, Johnny, Sally, right? Whoever it is, we, uh, we want to accept you. Uh, school starts tomorrow. Pack your bags, get here, right? That has happened. That can happen. That will happen to many of you. And that comes because schools, especially with the new traffic rules, schools can still accept students as long as they have a seat available. Even if a student has been uh, planned to enroll at another school or committed to enroll at another school and they go to that school, they have rented an apartment, they're in classes, right? If a school has a later start date and a seat opens up, they can go to that student and say, hey, I know you started at, at your other school, but we really want you here. 
if that's that student's top choice, they may decide to go. And that leaves a, a seat for you. So there's lots of confusion around this, especially with the traffic rules. But as far as waitlist, right, the kind of the main topic of today's episode, as far as the waitlist, I hope I cleared up some things for you as far as ranked waitlist and unranked waitlist and, and where that movement potentially happens, which is unfortunately a bit uh, uh, later in the application cycle as students are making their hopefully final decisions when it comes to where they're going to go to school. Again, if you're in a situation where you have gone through this process and you have not gotten in, I would love to help you uh, and help other students really understand this process and understand potentially where your application fell short. You can go to applicationrenovation.com slash apply to apply to be a part of our application renovation series. If you want to watch some of our previous episodes, our first season, as I'm calling it, has six episodes in it and has been doing really well, getting tons of great feedback from students. You can find that again at applicationrenovation.com. Don't forget to check out pre-med scholarship. Congratulations to our three winners this this cycle, this time. Uh, and hopefully I will tell you that you won a scholarship next time. I hope you enjoy your week. I'll see you next time here on the Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.